This is the Flying Field Podcast. The Flying Field Podcast is a service of rcplaneviews.com and the Flying Field blog. This is episode 111. What's with these giant foamies? This episode was produced the week of April 2nd, 2012. Hello, modelers, and welcome to this edition of the Flying Field Podcast. I'm Jim Mohan. The title of this episode is What's with these giant foamies? You may have heard me mention in my interview with Pete from Banana Hobbies last time that I was very interested in the new crop of giant foamies that were on display. I also mentioned that I had purchased a giant foamy, an A1 Sky Raider, from Banana Hobbies. Well, that little project has been keeping me busy for the last couple of weeks. I decided that I'd make a video of the assembly process, and as you might guess, that slowed things down quite a bit. Setting the camera and thinking through the steps to have a reasonable camera angle turned what should have been a fairly straightforward build into something a little more than that. That's not to say the build was difficult, not at all. It did take some time though, and that's partly to blame for several weeks going by without the usual interval of this flying field podcast. I did, however, end up with a set of videos that describe the build of the A1, so if you're thinking about adding one to your hangar, you can get a good preview of the model and its assembly. You can see the videos on the thread entitled The A1 Sky Raider from Starmax 1600mm over at RC Groups and on my YouTube channel, AZGym12. As I was working on the A1, I also spent several Saturday mornings at my local flying field. On one Saturday, I noticed another one of the larger foamies that a club member had brought to the field. This one was from nitroplanes.com. As I recall, it was the Airfield T28 with a 1400mm wingspan. That's a 55-inch monster foamy. Along with the large size came lots of scale features. It had electric retracts, sequenced gear doors, and even cowl flaps. It was really nice looking model, all for about 200 bucks. It had a lot of tongues wagging, that's for sure. I was looking around on the internet one evening and saw a 12-channel foamy too. Are you kidding me? A 12-channel foamy? Yep, that one too was in the two to $300 range as well, as I recall. I've got to think that the growth, no pun intended, in these giant foamies is directly related to the cheap but powerful brushless motors and third-generation LiPos that provide high power density, large capacity discharges, and 2-5C to charge capacities. Discount LiPos like the Turnigy Nanotech brand are priced ridiculously low. Now, I'm not complaining, mind you, but who would have thought that you could get a 4-cell, 4 4,000-milliamp-hour, 4 40C battery for under 50 bucks? and a 3-cell 2200 milliamp pack for under 18 bucks just two years ago. Amazing. I haven't gotten my A1 in the air yet, but that should happen this weekend. The videos of the A1 and my personal observation of the T28 
show that these giant foamies are really good flyers, and it's no wonder that several of them seem to be out of stock more than they're in. One of the other interesting things that hit my email in the last couple of weeks was some marketing materials from Horizon Hobby and their Spectrum brand of radios. It was offering pre-orders for their new DX18. Really? 18 channels? My first thought was, how was the typical sport flyer going to ever use 18 channels? But then I remembered the 12-channel foamy, so maybe not so outrageous. Let's take a look at some of the capabilities of this multi-channel monster. First, the radio is compatible with both the DSM-2 and the DSM-X technology and has a 50 model memory. It also sports the latest version of their Airware software. This software allows you to program all the features of the radio. Some of what I've noticed is an expanded set of defined wing and tail types. It also allows you to adjust the servo characteristics on all 18 channels. That includes things like servo endpoint adjustments and centering. A very cool feature is built-in event sequencing. For example, you could have multiple channels used for gear door servos. The sequencer would allow the doors to open and close in the correct order, all based on the gear switch. The last thing I'll mention is the built-in telemetry. This isn't new to Spectrum radios, but it's included in the DX18. Related to the telemetry is the antenna arrangement. Instead of having an antenna that is on a pivot point, the DX18 has basically two fixed antennas. The obvious one is the one sticking out the top of the radio. The second is embedded in the radio's handle, allowing for each antenna to be oriented perpendicular to the other. For me, $800 for a transmitter seems pretty reasonable, while at the same time, a lot more than I'm ready to pay. I'm much more likely to take the path to the smaller DX8 if and when my DX7 gives out, or when seven channels just aren't enough. In the meantime, I'm spending my money on models. Can you really ever have enough? I mean, really, can you? The latest model the UPS man delivered is the Dynam T28 Trojan. You know, it's interesting how different airplanes become popular and then kind of fade away. The T28 is definitely one of the popular models right now. You can get them in a variety of sizes and materials. There are several foam versions in the 50 to 60 inch size. Probably the most popular is the Park Zone version, with about a 40 inch wingspan and coming right out of the box with everything the new modeler needs to fly. It's no wonder. There are several others though. One I saw some months ago was from Nitroplanes, but was of a more traditional balsa construction. It was similar in size to the foamies and had a very nice film covering with lots of details printed on the film. Most, however, are foam like the Dynam I just got. It comes with electric landing gear, optional flaps along with all the servos and power system. I need to add the receiver and I'll be good to go. I got the gray navy version. I was glad that the cals came unattached. That will give me the option to paint it up in an alternate paint scheme if I'd like, like many of the images on Google. I'm likely to leave it just as it comes though, but I know that I'll get the stars on the roundels pointed the right direction. 
That is a detail that is just often missed, and it just drives me nuts. 20 years of flying Air Force jets will do that to you, I guess. Anyway, the gray paint job will make the Trojan the little brother to my A-1. Toward the end of my Air Force career, I was stationed in San Antonio and often attended meetings with training counterparts at the Navy base in Corpus Christi. I remember the T-28 parked in front of the Navy Officers Club there. Man, was that a big airplane. It was sitting on its gear and just towered above you. Quite a difference from the short, squat T-37 that I was flying at the time. New to my gadget bag is a small GPS data logger. I've got the I Got You brand model from Amazon for, for about $50. A couple of folks at the field have these little devices, and they are really pretty handy. They are made to sync your photos to your photo mapping software so you can geotag your pictures with the time and place that they were taken. Many of the newer cameras have built-in GPS, but if you have a smaller point-and-shoot or an older digital SLR, you will need a separate GPS data logger. In the picture role, ensuring your camera has the correct time will allow you to download your photos and have the software link the location data from the data logger with the photo. It will add the metadata to the digital image so that the, with the right software, you'll always be able to know where the shot was taken. Of course, the downside of this is those shots of the kids at the park you posted to Facebook will allow some creep to find out where he can expect to find them. So, be careful. Of course, there's free software out there that will allow you to strip the GPS data out of the picture file, too. So, what does this have to do with RC flying? Well, nothing. It just explains what the device was designed for. What we can use it for is for a flight data recorder. By turning it on and placing it in the model, we can then download the data points into a mapping program like Google Maps and see not only the ground track of the flight around the flying field, but also the altitude and speed of the model. Using one of these devices this past weekend, some folks at the field placed the logger on a pylon racer to do some speed runs. After the flight, the info was downloaded to a laptop that had a 4G data service connection, and the flight was mapped out in amazing detail. The software also had charts that showed the peak altitude and speeds as it plotted the waypoints captured by the GPS device. The pilot's guess was pretty good on the speed. He guessed 170 miles per hour. The data logger showed 169. If you were at the field like the one I fly at, where altitude is a limiting factor, devices such as this are an easy way to get a sense for what the model looks like at a particular altitude as well as guessing the speed. As spring has arrived over most of the U.S., the number of outdoor events is increasing. I know my RC club has a spring fun fly scheduled, and I'm looking forward to it. Probably the big national event right now is RCX, scheduled for the end of April in Long Beach, California. It has a long history on the West Coast and is supported by a bunch of the name brands in radio control. It not only includes RC airplanes, but all types of RC toys. I got a not-so-subtle signal from my wife that I needed to lay off my hobby purchases for a while, 
So I guess I'll look for some YouTube videos and live vicariously through someone else's camera lens who actually attended the RCX. As I mentioned earlier, I finished the video build log for my A1 and have it on my YouTube channel. Search for AZGYM12, that's A-Z-J-I-M-1-2. Depending on when you access this podcast, you might also find one for the T28. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Flying Field Podcast. Links to some of the models and products mentioned here can be found in the show notes. Look for them at www.flyingfieldblog.rcplaneviews.com. Click on the podcast category on the right side of the page. This was episode 111. Until next time, happy modeling and fly safe.